So this week, we, uh, I am kind of pitch-hitting for Pastor Steve because he had uh, some major pain and he couldn't focus. So you get to hear me today and also next week because next week is my uh, sermon to be evaluated by our class's representative. So I will be here for two weeks preaching with you guys. Uh, as we've said, this week marks the beginning of Advent, and I was watching a Bible study by a pastor, his name is J.D. Greer, and he said it's fitting that Christmas comes at this time of year, the time where we experience the most cold, dark days. Uh, in our household, Harper, who is turning three this week, um, she's kind of weirded out by the darkness, right? It gets dark almost right after she wakes up from her afternoon nap, and the phrase she always says, is it turning nighttime? Not quite, but yes. <laughs> She's very aware of the darkness. And so Jesus does, in our spiritual world, what the season of Advent and Christmas does. He comes into our darkness. We're very aware of our darkness, and he comes into our darkness to bring light and life. And so the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is the Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last advent. We've said that, where he will come again. And there's, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The advent word means coming from the Latin word adventus, and it demarks a season of expectantly preparing to celebrate the first coming of Jesus while eagerly awaiting his second coming to establish his kingdom forever. Even as we celebrate his presence among us through the Holy Spirit, so we look back, we look back and we celebrate that Jesus did in fact come. We anticipate his promise that he will come again. So we have this already and the not yet. And while we're doing that, we look back at the story of Israel and we put ourselves in their story. We imagine what they were feeling. Like we are reading uh, the narrative of Mary's story. We're going to be looking at her heart, the different ways that she kind of processed this coming of the Savior to her and to the world. So we reenact the anticipation of the Savior. We come um, imagining what it must have felt like to anticipate the Savior they'd been waiting for. At the time, Israel was on the verge of implosion. And I think some of us can feel a little bit like the world around us can feel like it's on the verge of implosion. But for them, the Lord hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. He had made himself known through prophets, through priests, through um, different ways, and they hadn't heard anything from him for 400 years. The last was a reassuring promise. I will make you a light to the rest of the world from Isaiah. But they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's kind of like, um, I think of like the kid whose parents kind of forgot him at school. I, I know when before the age of cell phones, we couldn't call your parents. I was forgotten at school a couple times. But, you know, you wait, you wait, you wait. You watch everybody else pass you by. And you're like, okay, are you coming? Did you forget me? That's how the Israelites felt, that, that feeling of like, oh, am I really loved if you forgot me? So they're waiting, they're waiting and they got so discouraged, they lost hope. But we too suffer from soul amnesia because we need to revisit this story year after year. Not because we don't know it. But because sometimes we cease to be amazed at the miracle 
of Jesus, the creator of the known universe, squeezing himself into a human body and being born on this earth. His birth is so miraculous, our hearts should never be ceased to be amazed. Because the truth is that when all was hopeless, when nobody else was expecting God, he sent an angel to Nazareth. A responsive heart says, use me as you will. So this Advent, we're contemplating Mary's story. And when I think of Mary, sometimes I initially feel like Mary's an unattainable goal, right? She was Jesus' mom. I don't feel like I would be very good at being Jesus' mom, right? So what is it that, that Mary did? What was she that, that made her so highly favored? And, and is it even attainable for us? And as we look a little closer, what we have to recognize, I've, I've made a few observations. Her surrender and her willingness to go along with what God said feels foreign to us. Why? She was so, let it be, I'm the Lord's servant. It makes us do a little bit of a heart checkup. Why? Why is that feeling of surrender and submitting so foreign? She listened to God, and she listened for him. We spend a lot of time talking to God. We could use a little more listening for him, to him. Her favor did not come from her own achievements. And this is what I think is most important. Her favor came from God's grace and God's mercy. It's not something we can attain. You know, Mary's status of being highly favored, it's not something she earned. It's a gift that God gave her. We have access to that same gift. She was willing to go along for the ride. She didn't acquire the most knowledge and Google, uh, you know, what would be the outcome of this? And let me ask a couple different people about what they think, and then I'll get back to you. No, she agreed before she really knew what she was agreeing to. We get a glimpse through Mary and then ultimately Jesus, the kind of life that God designed for us. In Mary, we see not what we should try to achieve, but what God can do when we surrender our heart. A responsive heart says, use me as you will. So we witness the Lord's work in her through the birth of Jesus. We also see how the Lord is showing his heart of love through these episodes with Mary. She's a testimony of how he designed us to receive mercy and grace from him. A responsive heart says, use me as you will. So the angel heads to some small farming village that wasn't respected for much of anything, which we kind of know later on in the Gospels, the Gospel of John, he writes, um, there's an episode and, and someone says, how can he be the Messiah? How can anything good come from Nazareth? So we know it's this place that people don't regard as anything. I kind of think of it as, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town, and when I talk to anybody who's like from New York, I feel like really inferior. You know, it's that mentality of, I'm from a small town, you're from a big place. We have different mentalities, right? 
I'm not necessarily as respected as someone who's from New York or Washington, D.C. But the thing is that God didn't send the angel to the most influential religious family in Jerusalem. He sent the angel to this little town. I think of it kind of like, uh, some of you may know, some of you don't, Sully, Iowa, right? Uh, there's like two stoplights, one gas station, and a bunch of farms. That's how I envision Nazareth. This little place, no, nothing really comes out of it. It's not exciting. But the angel comes to Mary. She was legally engaged to Joseph, so there was already this uh, legal binding contract. And we don't really know exactly what age she was, but most likely she was a young teen or even a preteen because about the age of 12 was the age of marrying off daughters to husbands. So we can guess, which is so bizarre to us, right, that this young girl who's barely a teenager, says yes to God in this incredible way. The angel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is the first time in Scripture where an angel is uh, showing reverence to a human. Usually, the first thing that angels say is, I come from the Lord. Do not be afraid. He does say that. But first, he, he says, the Lord is with you. You are highly favored. The Lord gives his grace abundantly, and we see here in this passage, Mary is not earning God's favor. She is receiving the blessing. Mary is the object of God's grace, and she will learn the greatness of the child she will bear, the one who is to come. He will be, called, he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, a promise from the Old Testament. And this promise was not lost on her. She was a studier of the word. We'll kind of dive into that a little bit more next week. But we know, based on her, her song, the Magnificat that we have just sung, there's references to the Old Testament in her song. So she must have uh, soaked in Scripture. She knew the promises of the Old Testament. She knew the promises of her ancestors. This young girl. And so Mary wonders, how is this going to happen? She's not necessarily doubting, but she's curious, right? She's requesting information, not necessarily proof, but just kind of like, how will this be? And the angel shares that the Spirit will cooperate, cooperate with her, and the Son will be the Son of God. And I think it's beautiful how even at his conception, we see the Holy Spirit accompanying Jesus. Because how else could she possibly process this information, right? The Holy Spirit had to empower her, equip her, enable her. She will give birth to the Son of God? And Mary's response reveals her character. Let it be to me as you have said. In standing up for God and his power, she will probably become the object of ridicule and doubt, 
And Mary knows that she's God's servant, so she allows God to work through her as he wills. He can place her in whatever difficult circumstance he desires. She knows God is with her. This young girl has confidence that God is with her. This reveals her heart. It's a posture that God will do impossible things. And the Spirit comes upon her, enabling her to do more than she could do or be by herself, because with God all things are possible. But he doesn't need anything from us. It shows us here this young girl from this podunk town is not renowned. It's not by accident he comes to this small town to this young girl to show us, I don't need your achievements. I need your willing heart. Because he can do anything. He doesn't need anything from us. But our hearts, he wants our hearts. The fact that this birth is like any other common birth says a lot about the lengths that God will go in order to identify with the most humble people in the world. He may be the God of the universe, but he's not snooty. He's not an elitist. He didn't come to the most influential family in Jerusalem. He didn't come to this place by accident. He came to show us what he can do with our hearts when our hearts say, use me as you will. Because we don't bring our credentials. Some of us need to remember that. My master's degree doesn't matter to God. It's what my heart is willing to do. We don't need to be from a certain family or a certain social class, have a certain IQ. That's not what God chooses when he chooses who he will work with and work through. It's a status of our heart. Do we have a moldable heart, willing to follow the will of God, even when it is something we don't expect? Because spiritual greatness is a function of the heart. Mary reflects the proper response of anyone who has been called by God. We don't have credentials. Other than the availability of our responsive heart, she's the Lord's servant, and so are we, if we know him. And this is the response that God wants from all of us. We have the right attitude and the right perspective to accomplish great things when we say, use me as you will. It's not enough to say, I am not, I am not equipped for this. I don't have the gifts for that. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, right now we're, in our household, we're watching the World Cup a lot, right? And um, I love soccer, but I would never be able to play at the World Cup. I would sit the bench because I'm not, I am not skilled for that. <laughs> That's not what it's like in God's kingdom. He says nobody sits the bench. It's not okay for us to say, I'm not qualified, I'm not usable. He wants our hearts to say what Mary said, use me as you will. And behind this attitude that Mary shows us is this trust that God will give direction and he will give enablement. He will equip you with the power you need. 
It's this attitude she was able to embody because she soaked herself in Scripture. I think of it kind of like um, we just had Thanksgiving. Some of us brine a turkey, right? If you know what brining your turkey, we soak it in this salt mixture to tender, tenderize the, excuse me, the meat, to make it delicious, to make it juicy, to make it good for consumption. Excuse me. When we soak ourselves in Scripture, our hearts and our words, they should become tender and delicious and good for consumption. Mary had soaked herself in Scripture in that way. She unreservedly embraces the purpose of God without regard of its cost to her personally. And her response really demonstrates how God wanted Israel, his children, to respond to him. It's how all of us should respond to him. And when Mary responded, she didn't even know yet what Joseph's response would be. She didn't know he would be visited by an angel. She didn't know that he would be obedient and believe her. But her willing submission... Her faithfulness and willingness to serve God already was because she was already open to God's plan in her life. Mary's faith allowed her to boldly trust God to work out all the impossible details. She knew and she trusted God to be her defender, her protector, her provider, her comforter, her keeper. That's the posture God wants of all of his people. It's the same posture he wants for us. And it's doubtful, even with all the explanations from the angel, that Mary really, really understood the implications of what she'd been told. Right? She'd never been pregnant before. She may have watched other women in her village give birth or be around, but she'd never experienced pregnancy before. She had no idea what was coming. She recognized that the messenger was indeed from God, and in deep faith and trust, she accepted what she'd been asked to do. And Mary's little yes in that house in Nazareth was a historic moment in the world's history. Things would never, ever be the same because of that little house and that little yes. What God can do with our little yes. And I propose that Mary's responsive heart is so foreign to us in this world and in our day and age because it's a surrender to control. It's the cost of control that led us to need a savior in the first place. It's the episode in the garden where Satan laid out a blueprint for a scam he's been running ever since the fall. It's the lie that any gap in knowledge, any boundary on our power, any limitation on our choice is something to fear, to challenge, and to resist. And we reenact that scene every time we grasp for control. And let's be honest, Mary's response seems bizarre to us. It's the absolute, absolute opposite of control. Her response to God's instructions, the news the angels bring, it's just beyond comprehension. But her willingness, her response is willingness. That's the heart that's responsive and tender. And that's, that's what a responsive heart says, use me as you will. 
It's the heart that God gifts us. We read uh, at the beginning of worship, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. For many people, anything outside of the parameters of what we've already drawn in our lives is inconceivable. I remember when we found out we were pregnant with Ben and Elena, um, the first words that came out of my mouth were, that's not in my plan. <laughs> I think that a lot of us have that. When something like, is so surprising, that's, I don't know, that's not in my plan. We can't even possibly process what God is trying to say or do. And, and that's okay. He gives us grace when we rely on him. And he, I needed his grace. Having two babies with two preschoolers and a husband in seminary, I relied on his grace a lot. For many people, it's, it's just inconceivable, right? We know how things are supposed to go and... We're not really interested in things outside of that parameter. But Mary's heart was different. And let's be honest, she did have questions, but she wasn't hesitant to ask. She said, how can this be? But when Gabriel told her that God had chosen her to bear the Christ, she was open to things that she could not have considered possible before. Her experience with God nurtured in worship and prayer had taught her that God was able to do great, impossible things. She knew the stories of God's interaction with the people from the generations before. She knew that God had led Noah and Moses and David and all these others, and she knew these stories well. And who's to say that that same God wouldn't lead her? And there must have been other questions Mary's, in Mary's mind. What will people think? What will they say? How will Joseph respond? What about my family? Will they be shamed or supportive? Whatever apprehension Mary experienced, her confidence in God's provincial care and her assurance in God's ability to care for her overcame all of them. As difficult as it must have been for her to consider what lay ahead, Mary's heart was open to God's call and empowerment in her life. How much of our own life has become so predictable that we've all but stopped expecting anything out of the ordinary from ourselves, let alone from God? The Advent season is a time for hope. A time to look for signs of God's promise among us. An invitation for openness to God's continual call. Especially when it comes in unexpected ways. Because God can do great things who entrust the journey with him to his care. And Mary is a reminder of what God can do with a surrendered heart. What is possible with God? God promises to be with her in the journey, and she responds by being willing to go along for the ride. But to see God at work, we must listen for him and to him to see what he's doing. 
a responsive heart says, use me as you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful. We pray as we go into our daily lives this week, you will remind us of the heart you desire for us, the heart you designed for us, a responsive heart, a tender heart, a heart that says, I'm looking for you in every nook and cranny, and I am listening for you, and I am listening to you. Remind us, God, how you equip us and enable us through your Holy Spirit to do the impossible things. We thank you for Mary and the story, but we thank you for Jesus and his coming and how we can celebrate and remember, but also look forward to him coming again. We pray that as we go today, we go with that same spirit and the same heart that Mary had, a responsive, tender heart that says, use me as you will. In your holy name, I pray, amen.